Welcome to Investment Magazine's new podcast series, The Future of Super. These podcasts are an in-depth series of conversations with key decision makers, leaders, and industry stakeholders at a time when the system is being challenged over its very purpose, as well as its efficiency and its ability to deliver. We explore critical topics for executives responsible for governance, for operations, and for outcomes. We address vital issues relevant to the future of Australia's retirement savings system. Please visit investmentmagazine.com.au or get in touch to join the conversation. And now, please enjoy this episode. AIA Australia is a leading life and wellbeing specialist with nearly 50 years experience and a commitment to help Australians live healthier, longer, better lives. Visit aia.com.au to find out more. Hello and welcome. Today on the Future of Super podcast series, we have AIA's General Manager Group Distribution, Anthony Clough, along with Mercer Consulting Partner, Tim Jenkins. Thank you both for joining us today. It's great to have you. In this podcast, we want to talk about a complex issue which has been brought to the fore by the federal government's new Your Future, Your Super legislation, namely stapling and how it affects insurance. Under the new stapling rules, members remain with their original super fund, the one they started their working lives with as a default, unless they actively decide to change. The measure was introduced largely to prevent members building up multiple funds and getting hit with multiple sets of fees. So far, so good. But all funds are not created equal. And when it comes to insurance, this is a particularly vexing issue. Funds generally provide insurance based on the occupations of the majority of their members, Hence, a fund with mainly retail workers may offer a very different policy to a fund aimed at looking after construction workers whose jobs are much more physically risky. But first, let's take a look at the overview. And before we get into the insurance issue, I want to ask, was stapling necessary? And if so, do you think it will solve the problems it was designed to fix? Tim, do you want to start us up on this one? Thanks, Stuart. Well, the Your Future, Your Super reforms largely follow the 2018 Productivity Commission review of the efficiency of superannuation. That review identified as its central theme that the creation of multiple super accounts was the key inefficiency of the superannuation system. Now, um, they actually said they were an, an unintended consequence of the way in which default members are allocated to funds. Now, a lot of things have happened in the last three years um, since the Productivity Commission review. Um, For example, there's the extended ATO sweep of inactive members, which has reduced the number of multiple accounts. So the problem is actually a lot less than it used to be, but that doesn't mean there isn't still inefficiency and many super fund members have multiple accounts. So that's the logic behind stapling. However, the way in which it's been legislated has its own unintended consequences, Stuart. Um, Something we'll no doubt be discussing in this podcast. Um, I actually think they may create as many problems as stapling fixes. 
So distribution for super funds, which is going to raise costs, um, lead to fewer super funds and potentially less competition and innovation. And lastly on this, um, there's no recognition in your future, your super of the role that employers have played in superannuation above simply paying super contributions. We've got 30 plus years of employer superannuation, yet the Productivity Commission review ignored their role where larger employers have secured better and tailored arrangements for their staff, particularly in relation to insurance, which raises the bar for all funds and benefits all individuals. I understand. Thank you. Anthony, what are your thoughts on this particular issue? Yeah, thank you for that, Stuart. And I certainly agree with all the points that Tim has raised there. I mean, I think, as Tim said, the industry has changed considerably over the last three years. And the government has already made significant progress with protecting your super and putting members interest first legislation. I think the impacts of those pieces of legislation has actually not been allowed to fully develop across the system before the your future, your super reforms have been introduced. I mean, the government does want to reduce the number of duplicate accounts that exist and stapling will no doubt do that. But as Tim said, there are going to be additional challenges. There will be downward pressure on fees um, and obviously to reduce the impact that fees have on retirement balances. But on the other hand, stapling does now mean that funds are going to have to consider how to attract new members. As Tim highlighted, employers and the role of employer in the system has been really key in providing outcomes to employees and to overall members. We need to review how this will operate into the future. And I think another key aspect here is also around the performance tables that the government will be publishing. We're really keen that these are not seen as a de facto guide for members or a piece of advice from the government around where an individual should be or how an individual should be looking to select a superannuation fund. Um, We do need to think about a level of consistency around those performance tables and how performance is shown and, and how that relates to how funds actually need to disclose fees and performance back to um, back to members as well. Do you think stapling will give certain super funds an unfair advantage over others, particularly those funds which look after retail and hospitality, given that's where many Australians start their working lives? Anthony, do you want to um, start with this one? Yeah, thank, thanks, Stuart. So I, I, I would agree there will be some funds that have a natural advantage where employees first join the workforce and are stapled to that first fund. I think, you know, hospitality and retail are really good examples where you've got certain funds today who service those industries and and obviously have existing arrangements in place with the key employers in those industries. Other funds who do not naturally attract individuals entering the workforce do need to assess how they still attract members under reforms and think about the benefits that they can provide to individuals as they progress through their working careers You know, and as Tim highlighted, the role of the employer is key. As individuals progress through their working careers, they still have the opportunity to choose the fund that best meets their needs. And, you know, as an industry, we really do need to focus on, you know, what are the benefits that we are providing to these employees who have had purchasing power 
uh, and to the benefit of their employees. I think a key challenge for us that we still haven't overcome is how do we increase engagement? Um, you know, that engagement between Australians and their super funds um, it is still low. Australians do need to understand the details of their membership uh, and obviously what they need to do to evaluate the choice of fund if their circumstances change. So I think for us, yes, there's definitely a, a key advantage there for certain funds. But I think for other funds, if we focus on um, engagement, education, the role of the employer, I think there is a role here for, for multiple funds to, um, to play in the, um, in the market. Thank you, Anthony. Maybe I'll direct the next question to um, to Tim since you since you started on this point, um, and that is about the engagement. And look, given Australia's notorious sorry Australians' notorious apathy towards, or should I, or you know, as you said, lack of engagement with their super funds, particularly younger Australians, do you think the stapling has the potential to disadvantage some folk by getting stapled to funds whose performance isn't necessarily stellar, particularly if members are not motivated to change? Stuart, um, I actually think this is a, a furphy. I actually don't think that there is this concept of the dud fund. Let me come in there. With your future, your super reforms, member outcomes legislation and SPS 515, all my super funds will be promoting members' financial interests. And I don't think the concept of the dud fund is what it might have been. The number of my super products is now under 80 including about 20 MySupers, which have restricted access. That compares to about 125 when MySuper was first introduced. And this number continues to reduce with fund mergers. So I think there's actually going to be a smaller number of MySupers all becoming lookalikes, and hence a lower potential for a disengaged member being in a fund that underperforms compared to other funds. Now, just on this point, and I can't help myself, Stuart, um, the performance test isn't going to help in this regard. Um, its curious nature means that well-performing funds can be deemed underperforming under that test, and it's not relative performance to other funds, it's relative to a benchmark. So um, I think if anything that um, that doesn't help weed out dud funds, I just couldn't help but throw that in for you. <laughs> Fair enough, and I'm glad you did. Um, we're, we're cognizant of the, of the time we have for the podcast. Let's now pivot to insurance. So first of all, um, can we look at a bit of the history of this? How and when did insurance products become part of the superannuation offering? Well, I'm I'm happy to jump in. Um, I mean, I I think, Stuart, obviously insurance inside super, you know, it it has played an instrumental role in Australia's superannuation system, you know, dating right back to the 1980s. Insurance was there um, in the event that a member needed to prematurely leave the workforce due to illness or injury. And, you know, insurance inside super was designed to meet the gap that existed between income and um, retirement savings. Dating back then to 1992, insurance inside super actually became law. And then further in 2013, my super products were then required to offer members death and TPD products as default rather than on an opt-in basis. So I think when you look back, you can see that insurance inside super has played a critical role to help members achieve their retirement goals. It has provided a safety net for those who've been able to work until retirement age and ensuring a dignified retirement for individuals and also their families. I think insurance inside super over time has changed, though. Um, You know, higher automatic acceptance limits 
levels of cover did increase over time. And whilst that has ensured that Australians have had a level of cover, it obviously has had an impact on, you know, the amount of premiums that they are paying over their lifetime and the impact that then has had at um, on their retirement savings. So um, something that as an industry we, we definitely um, should continue to address. Cool. And Stuart, I was wondering if Sorry. I could just add yes, in there um, yep. on you on this one, and it's one I can't help going back to as a defined benefit actuary. You know, sometimes those things are useful in life. Um, and actually, when you head back and think about this, it's actually the role that employers played with the traditional defined benefit funds that led to the inclusion of insurance in the superannuation in Australia. Um, these plans provided the retirement benefit lump sums on death or permanent disablement, and trustees insured these on the advice of actuaries like me. So it's actually that that led to insurance being inside a superannuation. Thank you. I'm glad you clarified that. At AIA, our dream is to champion Australia to be the healthiest and best protected nation in the world. To achieve this, we are continuously innovating to develop and deliver customer-led life, health and well-being propositions that help people live healthier, longer, better lives. To find out more, visit aia.com.au. I'm also keen to understand your views on the sustainability of these products. Does the industry need to do anything different as we look forward? Yeah, thanks, Stuart. And, and obviously a, a, a key topic right at the moment. I mean, our priority at AIA is making sure that inside um, insurance inside super is sustainable and, and fit for purpose. Um, we need to invest into this area. And I think from an insurance perspective, our role is really to help guide trustees to ensure that the um, long-term obligations to member are met and that our products are actually seen to provide value back to members. And I think that has been an issue that as an industry has been a continuing challenge. The value that members see from insurance products is not always high. Um, and over the last few years, significant impact has been made, uh, change has been made to make sure that there is additional value there for, for members. We do believe that insurance needs to be reimagined to be fit for super. Um, you know, I think if you think about um, sustainability, suitability and affordability, they are all key metrics that insurance should be meeting. Um, and I think we need to make sure that we are evolving our products so that they do operate as expected and provide members with the outcomes that they are expecting. Um, so, you know, making sure that we are there to pay claims. We've got products in the market that are understood and, and maybe if I could say maybe simpler than they are today. Um, insurance and superannuation are both complex. I think as an industry, we need to say, how do we simplify this so that the average individual can actually understand how these, um, how these products work, how they can claim against them and, and how they actually provide a, um, a, a need to them and, and their families. Tim, did you want to add anything at this on, on that on that particular question? Um, only to reiterate what Anthony has said, um, and perhaps add that there are very particular issues with the sustainability of TPD insurance benefits. Um, they're increasingly expensive as community expectations lead to more members covered by more favourable 
TPD definitions, coupled with a rise in mental health claims. So something needs to be done. Um, and interestingly, anecdotally, I've heard that one in three TPD claimants actually returns to some sort of work, which um, puts a question on the word total, for total. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point, Tim. And, you know, we, we have been doing work with our current superannuation partners specifically around TPD. Um, you know, I think you could suggest that the way that the product works today um, is broken. I think to use those words, certainly for individuals who've got a mental health condition, um, potentially TPD isn't serving the purpose it originally had. And again, we do need to make sure that we challenge what we've been providing into the past. So I would certainly agree with Tim um, from a TPD perspective. We need to actually review and review how we offer those products into the future. You know, one in three returning to work, which was a piece of work, I think, done out of Queensland from memory. Um, you know, it suggests that something does need to change and we, we need to think about how do we support members who are going on claim rather than just with a lump sum payment, but actually thinking about how do we support them where they can go back to work, get them back into the workforce. Obviously, that has the best impact on retirement balances. Thank you. Um, on that, this is a related topic, but CBUS CEO Justin Arter has been very vocal on the fact that stapling presents a compelling risk in that becoming attached to a particular insurance policy along with your original fund could have unforeseen and serious consequences. Arta said that just under 20% of working Australians have been assessed as being in what are designated dangerous occupations and coverage for TPD, as we were talking about before, for example, is not necessarily adequate for certain workers in certain funds. Taking on board what you said about the increased um, uh, number of mental health claims, um, which is different again. Um, how valid, though, do you think his concern is? Or this, well, it's, not only, it's not only Justin, but the concern is in the industry. And what other pitfalls can you see? Tim, maybe you start on this one. Yeah, Stuart, I'll come in. Well, auto insurance for those in dangerous occupations is a really important benefit for them. The PMIF amendments to the CIS Act did introduce a carve-out which permits funds to maintain opt-out insurance for those in dangerous occupations defined as emergency service workers, and also those which an actuary certifies as being in the top 20% of risky occupations. And I've personally signed out two or three such certificates. Um, the CBUS concern is that a staple fund may have exclusions in an insurance policy, which means that either the member isn't covered when they move to a more dangerous occupation, or is covered, but it's harder to claim under the new fund's TPD definition. Um, and they often wouldn't know that until it's too late. Um, there's also another issue here under Your Future, Your Super, where the Your Super comparison tool doesn't help at all. That ignores risk, it ignores insurance, and it encourages members to switch funds based on fees and returns, not insurance cover. Um, so an employee can actually switch funds without realising they won't get automatic cover, either because of their occupation or because they switch more than 120 days after joining their current employer. And so they have a limited cover or must be underwritten. Um, and if they're then declined cover, this actually is disclosable when they apply for insurance cover at some point in time in the future. So actually, I think your future, your super hasn't really thought all these issues. So going back to the CEO of 
the CBUS, he's got some very valid points about how this all works together and how your future, your super impacts on insurance cover. Anthony, you're, you're nodding quite vigorously there. Can, do you want to add, add more to this, um, to this particular issue? Well, I certainly agree with everything Tim has said. I, I think the challenge now is how, as an industry, do we try to solve this? Um, you know, the FSC has put out a consultation paper in the last couple of weeks that talks to this issue. And, you know, at AIA, we've been heavily involved in that position in peace. We certainly don't want to get into a situation where, um, you know, there's a unintended consequence here where a member does change um, between funds. So I, I think we can solve this issue. Um, it is going to take the industry coming together. Um, but we certainly don't want to see a circumstance where an individual has moved funds and then finds that they aren't covered or, or can't claim against a certain type of, of policy. Um, I don't necessarily think it requires government intervention. I think it is an industry um, issue. As an industry, we've come a long way, I think, in response to ASIC 633 and ASIC had um, published their report again within the last month around how the industry has adopted um, recommendations from 633. We've still got a way to go, though, and I think we should keep on challenging ourselves, making sure that we are providing appropriate cover, um, and obviously with a, a one eye on um, the impact on retirement balances and, and the actual cost of this cover as well. That is going to be key. Terrific. Thank you. Um, look, some folk in the insurance industry have been saying that uncertainty over consumer behaviour may potentially lead to group insurers or lead group insurers toward an argument for building a one-size-fits-all approach so that folk are not at risk if they don't change funds, even if it means upward pressure on premiums or what they've been calling a stapling loading. What is your opinion on this scenario? Anthony? Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Um, I mean, stapling does provide fund members with options for choice um, as it shifts away from the traditional default insurance offering. Um, that is a positive for the consumer, but it does bring in additional options for selection risk that some funds may um, need to accept that there's greater risk in providing insurance to their members and potentially it does have an impact on um, overall premium rates. I think there's different ways you could look at this. So a stapling loading is one mechanism, but I think there's other mechanisms that you could look at. You could look at levers such as product rules, levels of default cover, and the important role that underwriting plays um, to ensure that premiums remain affordable. I don't necessarily believe that one-size-fits-all approach is, is the right outcome for members. Um, I think we need to work with each of the funds around how the insurance works. Um, and, you know, to some extent, we need to think about how do we provide insurance cover that fits all members, um, but then really make sure that we're driving engagement and education with members so that we can personalise cover that meets their specific needs. Tim, thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to add to what Anthony said. I agree with him. Um, but on the subject of my super, for the people who don't exercise a choice, I think actually there's a real possibility all the changes here lead to commodity my super. Lookalike arrangements, lookalike insurance, and actually probably likely to be more expensive per $1,000 sum insured than at present, and also with lower cover. Um because in that world, it's brand and direct marketing that win. Um, so if that happens, I actually see one of the results is we might actually see the re-emergence of larger employers 
and multinational companies reintroducing their own company-owned insurance policies, particularly for income protection uh, and perhaps insurance-only superannuation plans um, to make sure that they are helping their employees get the preferential terms that they've been able to get historically through the employer involvement. Um, and they might even combine all of those in a wellness package, some of the sorts of things AIA has been looking at. I understand. Now, we mentioned this earlier, but I might sort of ask if we can go into a little bit more detail on it. Super Consumer Australia Director Xavier O'Halloran spoke to Investment Magazine recently, shameless plug there, um, <laughs> complaining that trying to get to grips with some of the insurance policies, terms and conditions was quite difficult. He described them as having pretty opaque terms was the direct quote. Um, again, given the lack of engagement Australians tend to have with their super funds, do you think some of the insurance products are too complex and is there an argument to simplify them? Anthony, I think you uh, mentioned this earlier. So would you like to start us off on that one? Yeah, thank you, Stuart. I, I mean, I think we're actually at a pivotal moment in the industry the Your Future, Your Super reforms do provide a fundamental, will provide uh, or have a fundamental impact on how our industry operates. And I think it should be taken as a catalyst for us to consider how default insurance should be provided and how we also engage members to ensure they understand the choices available to them. We certainly agree, and I touched on this earlier, that um, we need to simplify insurance inside super to ensure that members do see value in the insurance that we provide. I think also it's key to get an understanding from government on their thinking on universal policy terms, which you'll remember was a recommendation of Royal Commission and Treasury consulted on this in 2019. I think we're going to be challenged to invest the time and resources into, you know, facing into the simplification or um, you know, adopting universal terms without further guidance from government. Um, and we also need to be clear around would standardisation actually provide a beneficial impact for members? Um, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will simplify products just because we have standardised policy terms. Um, so I think for us, we need to focus on simplification, make sure that members understand the cover that they have, how to use the cover. And I think if we can do that, we can engage and educate members and they will actually see value in the insurance that they have. Thank you. Tim? Yeah, I'm going to take a slightly different tack here. Um, I'm actually going to argue that it's not the products themselves that are too complex, although they are complex. It's actually the disclosure requirements that funds must follow. Describing the TNCs in minute detail in 30-plus page insurance guides are too hard and onerous, even for me, it's rather than just the average consumer who doesn't work in super. It goes to the heart of the issues with Australia's disclosure regime, where having a PDS and incorporated by reference material are actually much, much less effective than shorter product summaries. And that was something that the insurance voluntary code was looking at to try and help make it simpler for consumers. So if we instead focus on the uh, basics, um, whether super fund members are actually aware if they have insurance, well, that was actually one of the unexpected joys of PYS, projecting your super. Um, more people actually understood that they actually had insurance when it was taken away and there was greater engagement and understanding. 
Um, although I wonder whether the other Your Future, Your Super reforms are actually going to take that backwards. Um, I mentioned the performance test before doesn't think about insurance. The Your Super comparison tool ignores it. Um, the performance test has a fail notice encouraging people to move products that doesn't consider insurance or even mention insurance. Um, the ATO's Your Super comparison tool only looks at fees and past performance. So if you have all these things happening, how can you expect consumers to value insurance in super when the legislation so downplays its role? I understand. Now, gentlemen, we're, we're getting to the point where we're running out of time, so let's just hit the, the final question. Do you think we need a government consultation inquiry into insurance within, the super, within superannuation, which has been mooted? Um, and if so, what do you think are the issues it needs or should address? Anthony? Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Um, I will be quick on this one. I, I think as an industry we have to accept that the review is coming. Um, in terms of is it needed, um, I think the government has to be very clear around what the objectives of this review are set to achieve. The industry as a whole has achieved some significant benefits for members that we've spoken about already over the last few years. Um, you know, if I was to look at the um, if I was look at the inquiry that is coming, I, I think one thing that we could investigate is what is the role of insurance inside super. So, you know, should it be mandated um, into various acts around um, how it should provide a, a member benefit? Um, I think that would be a key thing for the government to confirm, confirm and that would give clarity to all industry participants around how we're providing these insurance benefits back to members. Thanks, Tim. Right. So this is another one of the Productivity Commission recommendations and one that hasn't been put into play, whereas I think virtually every other recommendation has come through and been ticked off over the last three years. Um, but my worry is a lot has happened affecting insurance in super since that recommendation was made. SPS 250 changes, PMIF, PYS, the now abolished code, um, feedback from ASIC uh, on many issues. Um, and so perhaps the review is too late, uh, I think. Um, if it were to happen, I, th I think it will, to Anthony's point. Um, I think there's a great d danger now. It might start from the proposition, why still have insurance in super, as opposed to a more holistic review of the benefits and um, disadvantages of that. I mean, we have to remember that um, Australia is a country where 70% of working age individuals do have insurance, and that's primarily because of the role of insurance in super. And you compare that to the retirement income systems in the world, and perhaps it's no surprise that the top four retirement systems in the Melbourne, sorry, the Mercer CPA Global Pension Index um, all have insurance in super. Australia's number four on that, um, and then it falls away. So it's when you link in insurance to retirement needs, you, you can actually see why it's there. So if it does happen, I hope it happens, but with an open framing. Thank you very much indeed. And very quickly, any final comments? Anthony? I, I agree with what Tim just said there. Yeah, it, it needs to be an open open review. Um, we know the negative impacts of removing default insurance inside super. They will fall back onto families. It will fall back onto government. 
um, we certainly need to make sure that any future review, review is considering the societal benefits that insurance currently currently provides. That is going to be key. Thank you. And Tim, anything quickly you'd like to add before we finish? No, I think we've covered it off. So just don't take one from me there. <laughs> Splendid. Okay, thank you very much indeed both for your time. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Sue. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs>